Amen. All right. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. I know you're at home, but that was a beautiful time of worship. Can we just thank Jesus at home? And um, just it's so cool that we can still do this, uh, the fact that we can do this live stream. Um, let me say this. This is bizarre. It is still something I don't think anyone's used to, um, the fact that we're live streaming, the fact that we're not with you guys in person. It's weird to look out again and not be able to hug you guys, see you guys, shake your hands. I know that's not allowed right now. But it's just bizarre to not have that. But I'm so thankful that um, we still have a way to connect. So here's what we're doing. We're in Hebrews 3. If you would turn to Hebrews 3, that would be awesome. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, Will House. No, I'm kidding. Um, in my mind, everyone laughed really hard at that one. Uh, Hebrews 3. Again, it's so cool that we can connect this way. Uh, just through live streaming, through worship. Um, it's just it's bizarre, but it's beautiful to be with you guys. If you're a parent and you have kids, maybe they've been home from school now for a week or two, uh, we've had our kids home now for two weeks, maybe you're a little stir-crazy, maybe this is one of those things where you're kind of going, we got to figure out some things out, we got to get out of the house. Kimber and I ordered uh, a puzzle for Mike, a 500-piece Disney puzzle, because we're like, maybe that will keep him busy. Um, we just need something, anything. And so I actually want to point out a couple of things. If you're a parent, and you're watching, your kids are in the room, you're like, what do I do? Um, if you go to our website and click on Kids, uh, there's actually a, a drop-down for resources. Uh, we would love for you to be able to still interact um, with your child through the gospel. We have the Gospel Project curriculum um, that's available for all sorts of ages. You can click on your child's age and still have like a Bible study with them, a lesson plan with them. Uh, that is something we would love to get you guys. So just so you know, that is available. Uh, we would love for you guys to be aware of that. Uh, also, just a couple quick things as we're making our way to Hebrews. Um, we're doing something called house to house. So house to house is really ways for us to gather. Um, you know, the month of April, we take off small groups, but this is a way for us to still gather together in some form or fashion. So we, if you go on our website and click on house to house, we have a couple in-person groups that are under 10, because we're going to abide by that. Uh, but we're going to have a couple in-person groups, and we're also having digital groups. And you'll see there's a lot more options for digital groups. Um, we got a, a subscription to Zoom, and we're going to have our leaders really just try to connect with different people through Zoom. Uh, if you would like to be a part of a digital group, go online, sign up. Uh, we'll find, uh, you can find a leader that you maybe recognize or maybe you don't. We, either way, we want to stay connected. Um, I cannot stress this enough. The fact that we're not together on Sundays, the fact that we take, you know, we're not going to be meeting in small groups throughout the week. I cannot stress enough how vitally important it is for us to be together. Uh, so we would love for you to still be connected. So please, um, even if this is and just you FaceTiming a few people talking about the lesson, even if this is just getting together with your friends, maybe two people at your house for coffee, if you feel comfortable with that, um, we would still love to find ways to build community, to build connection. Um, social distancing does not mean spiritual isolation. And we don't want that to happen. And so we'd love for you to be part of a group, whether that's digitally, or if you feel comfortable being in a group under 10 people in home, um, we have a couple of those available. We're going to try to add to this every week to make more Zoom groups available. I believe right after service, uh, Peaky's group is going to meet, and I think there'll be some other groups that meet today or even just more this week. So we'd love for you guys to be a part of that. Um, also, here's something we're doing. We're going to do a podcast um, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm going to do a little 10-minute kind of, hey, here's what's happening we're going to go through a psalm each time just to meditate on God's word, to meditate on Jesus. And then we're going to end with some sort of spiritual practice or discipline like we talked through in our last series last year. 
we want to con continue to implement that. So this will be like a little 10-minute way for us to stay connected, to have fun a little bit, to joke around a little bit, to go through God's Word together. And so if you haven't subscribed to our podcast on, on iTunes, do that. You'll see on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, probably more in the afternoon, a new podcast uh, pop up of just what's happening. Here's a thought or a word or a Devo kind of a thing for the day. So we'd love for you to be able to subscribe to that. Also on Wednesdays, uh, every Wednesday until really this is over, and we might add to this, but every Wednesday at 1215, we're going to have like a Facebook Live and Instagram Live uh, prayer meeting. Um, we still want to pray. We know we can't get 30, 40 people in a house or room, so we want to do that through uh, Facebook Live, Instagram Live. So if you would uh, join us on Wednesdays, set your alarm, put it in your phone. Uh, we're going to go live at 12.15 on Wednesdays uh, from here on out until further notice. Uh, we might add to that, but we'd love for you to be part of that. Um, also, this is really cool. We're creating like a COVID-19 resource list. If you go to our website, you'll see COVID-19, and there's three areas. If you need help, maybe because of loss of job, sickness, can't leave the house, something like that, uh, we'd love to be able to maybe bring you groceries or help you in some way. We're going to have ways for people who not just want to help or Want, need to be helped, but want to help, if you would like to help, if you would like to help drop off groceries or be a part of helping other people, um, you can fill out a form for that saying, hey, I want to be available to help out. And then also there's going to be a prayer form. If you want prayer and just say, hey, I need prayer, my anxiety is just a lot right now, um, we will, that will actually go to our deacons and our elders, and we're going to pray over any request that comes in. So this is just a way for us to really serve you guys and to serve our community. Um, if you're aware of anyone who's in need that needs help, um, please fill that out for them on their behalf. We would just love to see how we can help. So a few things happening in light of everything that's going on. It's so bizarre that churches across our nation and really across the world are not meeting in person. It is still a new era of, of church history that we're like entering into that I think we'll look back on in 20 years ago and this forever changed maybe how we did church. Um, but we, we desperately need community. So um, again, kids ministry resources if you need that. Uh, house to house. Uh, the Exchange Daily Podcast, Facebook Live, um, prayer, and then just a COVID-19 resource list. Cool. I hope that blesses you guys. I hope that's something that um, can really serve our body well. All right, Hebrews chapter 3. Hopefully, again, you're turned there by now, and you have your Bible and a journal and notepad. So here's what we're doing. Um, I think that God has us in this book for many reasons. Um, what these Jewish believers were going through 2,000 years ago is very similar. It is different, but very similar to what we're going through. Um, here's what I mean by that. This was a time where the church had to go underground. This was a time when the church had to kind of do the way they did church differently. The Jewish believers were experiencing extreme persecution. Think about it, if you're a Jew who now believes that Jesus is the Messiah, you are not necessarily leaving Judaism because you're entering really into the fulfillment of Judaism, but you're leaving the temple, the sacrificial system, what the priesthood offers. You're, you're leaving really all of that, things that are visible, physical. You could see them, taste them, smell them. You're leaving all of that for walking by faith. You're leaving all of that for Jesus who died and rose again. And now, again, most of these believers probably never even saw Jesus at this point. You went from a, a, a really a visible, physical religion to now a faith that you live and walk by. And so they're under extreme persecution. We know that the, the emperor at this time was Caesar Nero, evil guy. He did some disgusting, terrible things to Christians. We know that they were being fed to lions. He was stealing their properties. I mean, he was just doing terrible things. So it's hard to be a Christian for them. It was difficult. They were weary. They were tired. They wanted to give up. A lot of the book of Hebrews is about endurance. Keep going. 
don't give up. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. See Jesus. I mean, everything the author's encouraging them with then is so relevant for us now. There was job loss happening. Again, people are losing their homes, their land, their families. They're losing loved ones. People are dying. And the author is saying, endure. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't give up. Don't look back. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So this is very relevant for us today. Um, when I was just praying through this for us this week, I feel like the Lord has us even, even in Hebrews 3 for a reason. Here's what we're going to see in Hebrews 3. Last week, we, we looked at how basically Jesus died for all. He disarmed fear. He removed just the bondage that comes with the fear of death. And now here in chapter 3, he's talking about how Jesus is greater than Moses, how Jesus is faithful. That Jesus is faithful even when circumstances are not even when people are not. Jesus is faithful. And so the title today, and really what we're walking through is Jesus is faithful. My longer title, I want it to be Jesus is faithful, even when people and circumstances are not. But that's a little too long, so I just made it Jesus is faithful. Um, so Jesus is faithful. We're going to read Hebrews 3. And I actually want to do this, because um, this is just different for all of us. Right now at home, would you guys just stand up for the reading of God's word? So we're going to read Hebrews 3. I'm going to ask all of you to stand up. And you're like, come on now. I was going to be sitting and having my coffee. Just stand for a little bit, and then we're going to uh, read this and pray. Hebrews chapter 3, let's read what the author says. He says, Therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus became that suffering high priest, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses, appoint, as Moses was also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has much more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for which testimony of those uh, things which, you, which would be spoken afterward, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort or encourage or comfort one another daily while it is still called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we who have become partakers of Christ, for we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Verse 16, for who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry with 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Stay standing. Let's just pray. Father, we, um, we are thankful for this book. We're thankful for the context of this book. We're thankful what it reminds us of. God, we're thankful that, Jesus, you are faithful. 
even though everything else might not be. Lord, we look to you. We ask, God, that even though um, we are separate in, in person and body, that we can be joined together in spirit, that, Jesus, you can transcend all of this, that you can use something that we don't understand, God, to build your kingdom as well. Jesus, we just pray and we just ask, God, that we would still right now, even more than ever, Jesus, be kingdom people who have a perspective that is heavenly, a perspective that is eternal. That, Jesus, everything you, you told us, we've heard it say of old, but you say to us, Jesus, that we would not live with anxiety or fear, that, Jesus, uh, we'd seek first your kingdom. God, we ask as we just dive into this, this text, Jesus, that your spirit would take the words and, God, just write it on our hearts. This Lord is still speaking, and so we just invite you here. We ask you to speak and move in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Proverbs 26 says this, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Many, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Do you have a faithful friend? Do you have a friend that is faithful? Uh, have you ever been a faithful friend? Have you ever had a friend that was not faithful? I'm just curious if you can think back over the years and said, man, I've had a friend that was just incredibly faithful. Maybe you were that friend. We all want a faithful friend, but are we a faithful friend? We all want someone to be faithful to us, but are we faithful to someone else? But it raises a good question. Who can find a faithful friend? I mean, this is incredibly difficult. That word faithful and even just faithfulness is kind of like a lost art today. Um, I don't know if we even say that word faithful in like normal day language. Uh, I think another way to say faithfulness is commitment. Um, again, we are the generation afraid of commitment. We're like, no, we're not dating. We're just talking. Hey, can you help me at this event? I, I can help you. I'll be there if nothing else comes up. Like, we're afraid of commitment. I think another word for faithfulness is consistency. Um, the fact that it seems as if nothing's consistent anymore. As soon as we know one thing, it changes the next day. I mean, think about the circumstances we're in. As soon as we're told one thing on the news, we're told something completely different. And so we think about the idea of being consistent. That's a lost art today. Here's what the author is saying. He's saying, though people fail you, though circumstances fail you, Jesus is faithful. I mean, the main point of his argument, of this talk, of what he's trying to argue for this whole book is, look, at Moses was faithful, the law was faithful, but Jesus is more faithful. Look, Jesus is faithful, and in light of that, you need to be faithful. He's basically calling them out saying, look at the author of your salvation, how faithful he's been, and yet we constantly harden our hearts, and we constantly have a heart of unbelief. So since Jesus is faithful, you be faithful. That's what he's saying. Jesus is faithful, we need to be faithful. But let's just focus, focus on the first part. Jesus is faithful. Especially, again, right now, I think we need to be reminded of this truth that Jesus is so faithful. Despite what's happening, despite what we read every day, despite the fact that news is constantly changing, nothing seems to be consistent, Jesus is faithful. And the author of Hebrews is trying to say, why, why leave a faithful person? Why leave? Why go back? Why give up on this when he's been so faithful to us? And he says, hold fast your confession. And so here's what we're going to look at. The three points today as we break down this text, Hebrews 3, verse 1 through 19, we're going to see Jesus is greater than Moses. We're going to see that you might want to listen to him. And then unbelief is your greatest opponent to change. So listen, Jesus is greater than Moses. That's his argument in the first six verses. Then you might want to listen. You might want to listen to him. He's greater. And then lastly, unbelief is your greatest opponent to change, or really unbelief is your greatest opponent to the promised land. Unbelief is your greatest opponent to all that God has in store for you. They missed out because of unbelief. 
So let's walk through this. Jesus is greater than Moses. Can we just read verse 1 again? Uh, Hebrews 3, verse 1, we'll read that. It says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He says, consider Jesus. The ESV puts it that way, consider Jesus. Uh, Consider the apostle and high priest, Jesus. What a great word for us today. Not just for believers, but for those who have never considered Jesus. He's saying, consider Jesus who he is, what he's done, what he claims. Consider the fact, consider how he died. Consider that he died on other people's behalfs. Consider the fact that many people claim to see him individually and all at once. Consider the fact that these people gave up their lives for that truth. Consider the fact that living for the death and resurrection of Jesus benefited people in no way, and yet this word spread like wildfire. Consider Jesus. It seems as if in life we've considered everything, We've considered pursuing different career paths. We pursued, we've considered, you know, pursuing just sex, pursuing power. We've considered pursuing everything, but have you considered pursuing Jesus? Have you really and have I really considered Jesus? Again, he's writing to Christians saying, hey, Christians, hey, believers, hey, Jewish believers, you need to consider Jesus. Your mind's considering everything else right now. Your mind's welcoming everything else right now, and it's saying welcome and consider Jesus. The word consider, it means this. It's this word, I'm not going to even try to say it. Uh, It says, take note of, perceive, consider carefully, discern, detect, to look to, to contemplate. All right, consider means to contemplate. Consider means to meditate. He's saying your mind needs to be around the person of Jesus. When you think of something, think of Jesus. Meditate on Jesus, who he is, what he said, what he did. Consider Jesus. Now, look at these two terms he gives them. In verse 1, it says the apostle and high priest. And that is very interesting. We don't really see Jesus ever being called an apostle. Um, Here's the idea. An apostle simply means a sent one. So the idea of apostle means be sent. You are sent. Jesus was sent by God. Jesus was sent from God. So Jesus is God sent him to us. But he's also high priest, meaning we Say, Jesus, we need you to go to God the Father on our behalf. We need you to be the mediator of our sin. So not only is he the apostle that's sent, he's the high priest that goes back to God on our behalf. So these are the two terms. Consider Jesus, the apostle, the high priest, our sent one. And look at this phrase in verse 1. He says, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, of our confession. Now, we're going to see this word confession a few different times in Hebrews. Uh, it's interesting when you see this word confession. Christians for two millennia have had confessions. Way before Usher had confessions, we had confessions. Um, here, if you're, yeah, it's okay if you didn't get that. Um, the idea of confessions is that we are agreeing around. We are a community of people that have the same belief on the person of Jesus. That Jesus is fully God and fully man. That Jesus is God who entered earth, who took on human flesh. That Jesus, though he's fully man, was also fully God, so therefore he's sinless. He never sinned before. That Jesus was born of a virgin, and that is so significant. The fact that he could be sinless and live this out, but also he had to be man, because, and again, he had to take on the form of man, like Adam. In Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. You see, this idea that we look at Jesus, we consider Jesus, this is our confession. You know, if you ever, if you Google, like, Christian confessions, it's beautiful when you can read about how we worship one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There are some great confessions that unite us, even though many churches differ on small things or on minor doctrinal things or how you might do church or all these different things. We agree on the person of Jesus. We promote the person of Jesus. We, we lean on, we look to Jesus as our, our truth. He's our salvation. He's who we look to. And he says, this is our confession. And I just want to be reminded of what you've confessed you know, 
a lot of times we'll talk to couples who in, in marital counseling who are fighting or going through it, and we'll say, remember your wedding day. Remember your vows. Remember your confession you made. Because it's easy to forget. It's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get frustrated. And see, for Christians, I think so often we need, we need to be reminded of the same thing as, hey, remember your confession. This is not a one-time confession. We're constantly confessing that we need Jesus. He's the truth. He's the answer. He's the solution. May I decrease and him increase. We're constantly confessing Jesus. There's three verses, again, this points out about confession in Hebrews. We'll just read them really quick. Look at Hebrews 4.14. We'll put it up here so you can read it. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Same thing. Hold fast this great confession we have. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The confession of our hope. Jesus is that hope. Hebrews 11, it's a different form of confession. Listen to this. Speaking of great men and women who lived in faith, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They confessed, they confessed, we're just passing by. We're pilgrims and we're strangers. This is not our home, but we're on our way to home. We're on our way to heaven. This was a confession they made. That our true home is not here, it's in heaven. Here's why I'm saying this. Again, he says you need to consider Jesus and consider the confession you made. That really for throughout 2,000 years, people have been confessing about the person of Jesus. And we can't lose sight of that amongst all the craziness, amongst their persecution, amongst their loss, amongst their pandemics, amongst everything they walk through. He says, hold fast your confession. And that's what we're trying to do as well, hold fast your confession. And then there's this phrase in verse 2, and I want to just read it really quick. He says, uh, who was faithful, Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. I don't know if we always consider this, but Jesus was faithful to God who, who called him. Jesus was faithful. There's two verses Jesus said about being faithful to God as Father. We'll throw them up here. It's John 8. Jesus says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him, to the Father. Uh, John 5.30, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Hebrews is saying the same thing about Jesus. He was faithful, but he was even more faithful. And now he's going to do this comparison between Moses and and Jesus. So let's read in verse 2, this great comparison between Moses and Jesus. Hebrews 3 verse 2, it says, who was faithful, or who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For everyone who is built by someone, for everyone, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spook, spoken afterward, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. So what he's doing now is comparing Moses to Jesus. Now understand this. Moses was the greatest figure in the Jewish faith, probably outside of Abraham. Abraham was like the father of the Jewish nation, but Moses is the deliverer. Moses is the one who freed them from slavery, from bondage, from Egypt. Remember, Moses is the one who said, let my people go. Moses is the guy who took his people, the Jews, the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt. And he helped bring them through the Red Sea. He helped deliver them out of bondage. And he's bringing up someone they have great respect for. Now, notice the author's not demeaning Moses. He's not bringing up Moses' shortcomings. He's saying, you think Moses was great? You think Moses had glory? You think Moses was faithful? Look at Jesus, more glory. So here's the comparisons. We'll put them up here. Here's what he says. Um, Moses was faithful. Jesus is way more faithful. Moses had some glory. 
Jesus had a greater glory. Moses really reflected the glory. Moses, a part of the house, Jesus is builder of the house. Moses, a servant in the house. Jesus, a son in the house. So he's comparing Moses and Jesus. And again, he's not trying to diminish Moses. He's not trying to mock, mock Moses in any way. He's trying to really, for us, compare who they are. So Moses was faithful. Jesus is way more faithful. I want us to think about this. God actually said in the book of Numbers chapter 12, when, when Aaron and the Israelites and, and Miriam, they're you know, arguing about Moses, uh, God actually said of Moses in Numbers 12, he says, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Notice that phrase. He is faithful in all my house. So he's a servant, faithful, and he talks about this house. The same, this is the same thing. So Numbers 12, the author in Hebrews is picking up on this idea. And he's saying Moses is a servant. He's faithful in God's house. So Moses was faithful. I mean, Moses had a really hard job dealing with a lot of people who were complaining and whining and bickering. Moses had an incredibly difficult job. And yet, he's called faithful to these people. Now, I want to point this out. Moses, as you guys know, could not enter the promised land. Why? Well, because in some ways he was unfaithful. God said, Moses, I want you to speak to this rock and water will flow through it. Moses gets up, and he's so angry, so frustrated. He says, you always rebel, and he struck the rock. God was faithful. Water still came out of the rock. But God's like, because you struck the rock when I said to speak to it, because you did not obey, because you're not faithful to the word I gave you, you're not going to enter into the promised land. Now, the author here says Moses was faithful, and he was. But be reminded that Jesus was more faithful. Moses struck the rock. According to 1 Corinthians 10, it says Jesus was the rock that was stricken. Jesus was the one who was beat, who was stricken for us. Blood and water flowed through him from his side. See, Moses was faithful, but Jesus was way more faithful. Going on, he says, Moses had some glory, but Jesus has more glory. Moses reflected the glory of God. Moses didn't permeate his own glory. Jesus had his own glory. Jesus didn't reflect the glory of God. He permeated the glory of God. And then lastly, they see this, Moses was a part of the house, but Jesus is the builder. And he says, Moses was a servant, but Jesus is the son. He's asking, who has greater glory? Who has greater glory? Uh, the one who's serving in the house or the son in the house, the son over the house. And he's obviously just pretending Jesus being the son has way more glory. Now, again, why is he doing this? He's saying, because you're trying to go back to the law. You're trying to go back to Jesus. You're trying to go back to the physical things. But do not forget, Moses was a shadow of the true prophet, of the true deliverer, of the true savior, not of Egypt, but of the world. Not of, of Egypt, but of sin, hell, and death. Jesus was a greater Moses with more glory. He's the son and he's more faithful. And I want you to see what he's trying to do in their faith. He's not, just, he's not trying to put down Moses. He's saying Jesus is greater though. Jesus is more faithful. It all speaks of Jesus anyways. And church for us, again, I don't know what it is we want to go back to. We might want to go back to something different. They, Judaism, they, physical things. For us, what is that? You might want to go back to your old lifestyle, pre-Jesus. You might want to go back to some idea you were living by. Make as much money as I can. Serve me. Life is about me. And here's what they're saying. Um, there's, here's what the author's telling us. Jesus is way more faithful. You know those things failed you. Just like the people want to go back to Egypt, you might have desires to want to go back, but Jesus is way more faithful. He's way better. And he's saying, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Consider Jesus. Contemplate Jesus. Meditate on Jesus, our apostle and high priest, and he's pointing back to the person of Jesus. So listen, Jesus is greater than Moses. And then number two, here's the idea. You might want to listen. Um, since he's greater, you might and I might want to listen. Can we read verse 7? Verse 7 through uh, 13. Here's what it says. Verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, okay, stop there. All right, stop there. As the Holy Spirit says, this is so interesting. 
Um, he's going to refer back to Psalm 95, referring back to like Numbers 14, Exodus. He's going to refer back. To, so it's like Inception to me. He's referring to a story, referring to another story. It's pretty cool. But notice how he says this. He's quoting Psalm 95 and says, as the Holy Spirit says, what is the author saying? He's saying the author of Psalm 95 is not so much as David as it is the Holy Spirit. So here's what the author's doing. He's saying the word of God that we have was not just written by a man, but the true author was the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind, one. And then notice how he says this, the Holy Spirit says. Notice the author did not say in Hebrews 3, as the Holy Spirit said, past tense. He does not do that. Why? He's saying the Holy Spirit's still speaking through God's word. Um, church, as we, in a couple weeks, we'll talk about this. But this book is still living and active and powerful. And again, the Holy Spirit says, meaning when you open up this book, the Holy Spirit is speaking. This is not past tense. That's a big deal, what he's saying. He did not say the Holy Spirit said. He's like, the Holy Spirit is still speaking through Psalm 95. It's still active. It's still living. When you and I approach the Bible, this is how we should approach the Bible. Anytime we open up the Bible, church, please, and I hope you agree fully, anytime you open up, the Holy Spirit says, not said. He's still speaking. That's a beautiful thing. And now let's read. What does he, what does he say? Uh, Psalm 95, this is what he's quoting. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Back to the author in Hebrews. He says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So he's quoting Psalm 95 saying, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. What is he referencing? What is he speaking about? There are many times, if you read Exodus and Numbers, there are many stories where Moses is saying one thing and the people want to do another. Where Moses is saying, hey, God has spoken, and they're saying, well, we don't want to do this. So what this day of rebellion looked like was God delivered them from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. Imagine this. You saw 10 plagues, 10 supernatural plagues of God. God miraculously opens up the Red Sea. You walk through it. God leads you daily by a pillar, uh, uh, by a pillar of cloud, and then he leads you by night by a pillar of fire. You're just seeing miracle after miracle. There's manna every morning, just heavenly wonder bread. There's quail God's providing. I mean, there are people that are seeing constant miracle after miracle, and yet they have unbelief, which we'll talk about. It's mind-blowing. But they're seeing miracle after miracle. They're in the wilderness, and God says, listen, you're not supposed to be here. The wilderness is not permanent. It's temporary. Your true home is in the promised land. It's the land of Canaan. You need to take it. You need to enter in. And the people have this great idea. Well, let's go spy out the land. And so they picked one spy from all 12 tribes. There's 12 spies. And they go, let's go spy out the land, and let's just go see it. Let's just go see if we can even take it. Who's living there? What is it like? And these 12 spies spot the land. They come back to the people, and they go, yo, the land's incredible. I mean, there's grapes, and you can read about it. There's grapes the size of bowling balls. They're like, we literally took two men to carry one cluster of grapes. It is massive. It is land of flowing with milk and honey. It is beautiful land, but there's giants in the land. And we look like grasshoppers in, our, in their sight. They're going to crush us. We cannot enter in. And they have this terrible report. And there's two guys, as you remember, Joshua and Caleb, who say, no, God said this is our land. Let's take the land. If God said it, let's believe it. Let's act on it. God's faithful. Let's enter in. And they said, no, we can't. So if you remember, the judgment for not believing God, for hardening their heart, for not hearing God's word and obeying it, God said, you will not enter in the promised land except 20 and under, and Joshua and Caleb, you're the only two that will enter in. And that's what happened. That generation for 40 years died off. 
the 20 unders grew up, and they were able to enter into the promised land. And the author is saying, he's pointing back to a story they were very familiar with. Again, they had this context we do not. They had a really good biblical understanding. We're, we're not as biblically literate as they were. But they had this understanding saying, listen, remember that day of rebellion? They hardened their hearts. God spoke to them. They did not listen. And because of that, they could not enter into the promised land. They missed out on what God had for them. And I want us to understand what that is saying to us. He's saying, you need to hear the voice of God today, today, today. When I read that, he says that word twice in verse 7 and verse 13. Today. Today, if you'll hear his voice, there's a sense of urgency. Meaning, you're not guaranteed to hear, God, hear from God tomorrow. You're not guaranteed to act on it. Today. As you hear God speak to you, he says, act on it today. Right now. Like right now. If God is speaking to you, act on it. You believe it. You walk in it. You submit to it. Today. Do not harden your hearts. If God's speaking, be so thankful he's speaking, and don't assume you're going to have it again the next day. But he said, don't harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. They hardened their hearts, and so they had to wander for 40 years. And here's why I bring this up. That was never God's original intent for them was to wander in the wilderness. That was not God's original intent. It was just to be passing through there so they could get into the promised land. God had them in the wilderness, and they whined and complained. God brought them from Egypt to the wilderness, and there was this testing period. It wasn't supposed to be 40 years, but there was supposed to be a testing period. And here's why I'm bringing this up. Um, there's deliverance, there's development, and there's destiny. And follow with me. God delivered them. He's trying to develop them in the wilderness. The destiny was the promised land. That was the promise from God. So they want to go from deliverance to destiny, and God's trying to say, you're in the wilderness for a little bit, but they whined, they complained, they don't believe God, don't take him at his word. And now they had to live in that place of development. They had to live in the place of the wilderness. I think this is so important for us. I think, and let's just talk about the wilderness. The wilderness, by the way, is not like there's streams and brooks and little trees. Like, this is the desert. This is the desert. Like, things don't live there for very long. It's difficult to survive in the desert. God is saying, I brought you into the desert, and you whine to complain the whole time. You're going to stay there now. This is something for us, because we so often want to get out of the wilderness. We might despise the wilderness. We might belittle and hate the wilderness and say, where's that promised land? And then we don't believe God when he says, here it is. And God was trying to teach them. God was trying to speak to them. God was trying to move in the wilderness. The wilderness doesn't always have to be a terrible place. The wilderness is supposed to be a place of God's development. So God's, here's the idea. Keep this in mind. 1 Corinthians 10 actually views the Red Sea. He calls it their baptism. So the idea is God slaved them out of bondage, and now they're in the wilderness. Like they're saved. There's people. He called it their baptism. So for you and for me, we believe in Jesus. We're baptized in Jesus. You're born again. You're saved. And then there's still the promised land. Now, let me just make this really clear, by the way. So often I hear Bible communicators talk about the prom promised land like heaven. The promised land is not a picture of heaven. In the promised land, they still had battles. In the promised land, they still had the battle of Ai, the battle of Jericho. In the promised land, there's still battles and difficulties. Okay, for us, what is a picture of the promised land then? You've been delivered out of sin, hell, and death. You've been baptized. You're walking with Jesus. You're in the wilderness. The promised land is that spirit-empowered life. The promised land is that spirit-filled life. There's still battles. There's still difficulties. But you're in the place God has for you. He's giving you the strength to fight them, to defeat them. You see, that, like, yes, they're out of slavery, but they're just wandering the wilderness, and they're despising it, and they're whining, and they're complaining, and God's saying, don't harden your hearts. And again, here's why I'm saying this. Jesus specifically went to the wilderness. The wilderness for him was that training ground, is that development. It was that, hey, Satan, though you tempt me, I'm going to use God's word to defeat you. The wilderness for John the Baptist is where God spoke to him. It's a really fascinating verse. It's Luke 3, verse 2. Listen to this, and don't lose the big picture of this. Luke chapter 3, verse 2, it says, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, 
the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Please listen to this. L- listen to this. He's saying there are two high priests, by the way. That was not God's will. Uh, Annas and Caiaphas. They had a Jewish high priest and they had a Roman high priest. They're disobeying God. And so notice this. The word doesn't come to the high priest. God's word did not come to the spiritual people. It came to the guy in the wilderness. It came to the guy who's getting away and saying, I'm going to embrace the wilderness and God's going to speak to me. The word of the Lord came to someone in the wilderness. The wilderness for us does not have to be this terrible thing. It can be a place of training ground. It can be a place where we hear from God. And let's just be honest. Think about today. We're in a place of like a wilderness. Some of our jobs are on hold. Our kids maybe are, not, are most likely are not at school. We're going, will I have an income in a month or two? What is happening? We can either be bitter and say, God, get me out of this. I don't want anything to do with this. Or we can say, okay, God, you're trying to teach us something. What is that? Hey, God, you're trying to speak to us. What is that? The word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness, and I really do believe that's when God speaks to us the most. It's when the angels encouraged Jesus was in the wilderness. So we're in a wilderness. They were in a wilderness. And he's saying, don't harden your heart. You can either be offended by the wilderness, hate the wilderness, want to get out of the wilderness, or you can embrace it and say, God, speak. Your servant's listening. What is it you want to teach us and show us? How is it you want us to live? So they're in the wilderness. Destiny's ahead, but they wanted to skip development but also they didn't even believe God to begin with. There's just so many issues. So here's the solution, ready? He says, verse 12 and 13, again, beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily what is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Let me just say this. Sin is deceitful. It really is. Sin promises us one thing and delivers another. Sin tries to trick us that you're missing out. There's something else better. And sin is incredibly deceitful. So here's what he says. You need to exhort one another daily what is still called today. Exhort one another. There is this phrase repeated a lot in the Bible. One another, one another, one another. Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another. That phrase one another just communicates that we're together. That we're in this together. That you're not alone. Uh, that we need to encourage each other, one another. Hebrews 10, verse 24 says the same thing. We'll read it. Listen again. He says, let us, listen, let us, and at home, why don't you do this? Say consider, because it's the same word. Consider. We consider Jesus, and now he says, consider one another. In order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching exhorting one another, one another, one another. Encourage one another, exhort one another. Here's what the author is saying for us. Hey, it's easy for people to get a hard heart. It's easy for people to give in to their unbelief. So encourage one another. Sin is deceitful. Sin will trick us. Sin will make us think there's something better. So he says, exhort one another daily. There is this idea of community in that. I cannot stress now more than ever how much we need one another. I really cannot stress this. This is not just a point where we teach. This is like, this is the spirit speaking to us saying we need each other. I believe now more than ever. We're not in person on Sundays. Our community groups do take a, gri- a break in the month of April. Even, even then, we're not to meet in groups over 10. How much more do we need one another? How much more do we need to be intentional with one another? How much more do we need to go out of our way, spend some time, set aside to FaceTime someone, call someone, text someone, meet with each other weekly through Zoom or Google, whatever it is. How much more do we need one another? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Life Together, he said this, sin demands to have a man by himself. It demands that. Sin wants us by ourselves. It withdraws him from the community 
The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him, and the more deeply he becomes involved in it. The more disastrous is his isolation. He goes, sin wants you to be alone. That's when our, our, those thoughts kind of plague us. What, does anyone care? Will anyone notice? And he's saying, you need community, and especially us, we need this now more than ever. And again, we are praying through this as a church. I know I announced, it's not an announcement. We really are trying to pray through ways to do this. I cannot encourage our whole church, anyone watching, or anyone who's maybe even never been here in person and you're still watching, I cannot encourage you enough to be with one another. Um, honestly, go on our website. Go to house to house. Find a Zoom group. Communicate. Talk to each other. Love each other. Ask for prayer requests. Say, how are you? What do you need? Hey, let's talk about the word, what we just heard. Let's discuss it. Let's digest it. Let's apply it. Let's do it more than once a week. The whole point is he's saying you need each other. Again, that word daily, daily. That's why we're doing this podcast for us because we want to still connect and communicate and exhort. For us, we're trying to go, how do we make this very personal? How do we exhort one another daily? Again, they're not just for us, let us just start doing things or here's some creative ways to, to meet needs. It's we really do need to exhort one another daily, what is still called today. Lest anyone develop an evil heart of unbelief. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to exhort each other. We're going to encourage each other to speak truth. We're not just going to try to speak truth. We're also going to have tears involved in that and sympathize and empathize. There's going to be that mixture. So here's what I want to briefly, so when you read this, exhort one another. The question that comes up is how? How do we do this? You know, Jesus was a master at this. And please stay with me. In John chapter 11, Jesus lost possibly his best friend, if not one of his best friends, a guy named Lazarus. If you remember that story, his friend Lazarus is dead. Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Jesus has two different ways to exhort them. And I find this so interesting. Martha comes to Jesus, and she sees Jesus first from afar, and she runs to him, and she talks to him. She goes, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would be alive. Jesus says to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, shall live. Do you believe this? And he asks her that. Yes, Martha, do you believe this? Jesus responded to her brokenness with truth, with a big powerful truth claim and statement. The next sister, just a couple verses later, Mary says the same exact thing. and says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would still be alive. Jesus says, take me to his body. And then it says, Jesus wept. And I want you to see this. Exhort one another. This will look different at times. Jesus spoke truth. Jesus dropped a powerful bomb. I'm the resurrection of life. He knew that Martha needed to hear truth. For Mary, he knew that he needed to show tears. Sometimes people need truth, and sometimes people need tears. It's okay to be both. It's okay to apply both when necessary. I'm looking at you guys through the camera lens, but I want you guys to like really follow along with me here. Some of you right now and just in life, you are a fixer. Some of you are feelers. Um, some of you want to fix things. I know that this is when, as husbands, we can get in trouble. When my wife just wants, like, she wants to open up, and I'm like, well, just do this. That's not the solution. It's to feel, to sympathize, right? Um, and then others of you are feelers. You want to hear what's wrong. You want to sympathize. You want to cry with them. You want to go, I'm so sorry. And maybe your pr the other issue is you don't want to speak truth. So here's why I'm saying this. If you are by nature a fixer, I believe God is calling you to also be a feeler. I believe that people, myself included, can be fixers because they're self-righteousness. We think we have the answers. Let me just get straight to the point. And God's saying you don't need to always fix. You need to feel. So fixers, I'm challenging you to be feelers. For you feelers, where you just want to sympathize and empathize and not say the hard thing, Someone might be opening up to you about a sin, and a sin issue, and saying, look at the consequences in my life, and you want to sympathize, maybe you need to speak truth. And for you, the issue is not 
so much that you are self-righteous, maybe it's cowardice. And you don't want to say the hard thing. So listen, Jesus exhorted them the way they need to be exhorted. He spoke truth to one, and he had tears with another. For one that needed fixing, he spoke truth. For one that needed feeling, he showed feeling. Listen, again, when we do this as a church, I'm going to say some of the best things we can do for each other is have that heart check, gut punch kind of a thing. Like, I love, like, the hardest thing for me and many, many of us is when you sit down with someone and say, I love you so much. The path you're on is destructive. I care way too much about you to not say anything. You need to get off this path and you repent and look to Jesus. And you might not want to hear it. You might not like to hear it, but you know it's truth and you know it's something you need to submit to. Other times, if you're, again, if you're just very cold with that and you cannot sympathize and show tears, you need to also repent and say, no, you need to sympathize. So this idea, this word exhort, by the way, it's parakaleo, and the idea, it's like parakletus, with the word that we use for the Holy Spirit, it's very similar. The Holy Spirit's our parakletos, our comforter. This is a very similar word saying, there might be times you're going to come, para means come alongside. You're going to come alongside someone and speak truth. You're going to come alongside someone and empathize and sympathize. And here's what the author's saying again, exhort one another daily. Church, we need this. We need this now more than ever. I cannot stress this enough. Though we are apart physically, we don't have to be apart spiritually. And so this is for us. Exhort one another daily what's so called today. I hope today you can encourage someone. Don't just wait for a phone call for someone to encourage you. You're missing the point. You call someone and you exhort someone daily. And then lastly, so you might want to listen to Jesus. Uh, lastly, number three, unbelief is your greatest opponent to change. Unbelief is your greatest opponent to the promised land. Unbelief is your greatest opponent to all that God has for you. It just is. Let's read verse 14. Here's what he says. Hebrews 3, verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Verse 19, so we see then that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They could not enter in because of, say it, they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief is your greatest opponent to change. Unbelief is your greatest opponent to all that God has for you. This is crazy. I really want us to get this. Sometimes we think the biggest thing that might keep us from growth is some big sin. So we might go, it's the sexual immorality thing that might keep me from change or hearing from God. And that could be it. You might think that there's some idol that you're pursuing that could keep you from change and growth. That could be it. What the author is saying here in chapter 3, and we'll see this even more in chapter 4, he's saying the greatest opponent to change is unbelief. The greatest opponent to entering into what God has for you is you simply don't believe God. I guess another way to put it is you don't believe God is that good. God's like, I have the promised land in store for you. The land flowing with milk and honey. And they go, no, no, that's too good to be true. No, no. We can't believe that. God was too good for them to believe. <laughs> it's crazy because I really do think this is the issue with us. God is so good. And we're like, is he that good? Or maybe you don't know, you don't see him in that light. You don't see him as that good. Like, really, I just confess my sins and say I believe in Jesus and trust in him and I'm forgiven. I go to heaven. It's like God is so good. You know, it's, it's this idea of unbelief keeps us from so much that God has for us. I honestly believe, even for our church and just for individual Christians, we can, get, we can be the wilderness, like wanderers and journeyers, which is God saved us. And we're just kind of wandering around the wilderness. And God's like, I have more for you. Church, God has more for us. I really do believe when you see the kingdom of God break in and you see God do amazing miracles and powerful things when people simply believe him. It's crazy how simple it is and how hard it is. And I really hope we get this. It's so difficult to say God's, that God just says, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. Do you believe that? 
do you believe when Jesus said greater things you'll do than these? It's crazy. The thing that keeps us from experiencing the power of God is unbelief. Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. Like, do we get this? Do we get how powerful belief is and how unbelief removes that power and that authority? Do we understand that the greatest issue, you could say the greatest opponent to Christians advancing or growing their faith is simply believing God at his word. If God says it and I believe it and I walk in it and I receive it. And we can be cynical sometimes. It's easy to kind of look at people on TV, Christian people, and go, oh, they're just, you know, if you just have enough faith and they, they kind of like make fun or mock this faith thing. Honestly, we're people of faith. Hebrews 11, men and women filled with faith. I cannot wait to get to that chapter. I believe God is calling us to stop being cynical. And why don't you start walking in faith? Why don't we actually take God at his word? And, be, and have true faith even more so the way he wants us to. I really believe we would see the kingdom of God advance in creative ways. I think some of us would experience gifts of the Holy Spirit we've never experienced. I think we'd see little inbreakings of the kingdom. I think more churches we've planted. I think if people said, you know what, Jesus, your word says this, I believe it. I'm going to move forward in faith and watch you and watch others enter into what God has. Again, they could not enter into the promised land because of unbelief. And I really do believe, possibly even our church, our greatest hindrance is people who just don't believe. I, I find it really fascinating when Jesus is in a room with his disciples and there's a little girl who's sick on her deathbed. She's dead. She's actually dead. The mourners are there and they're not mourning anymore. And Jesus says, she's sleeping. And they're like, she's not sleeping. She's dead. She's sleeping. And they mock him. They say, she's dead. And Jesus is like, get out of the room. All of those who don't believe, get out of the room. Those of you who believe, stay. And Jesus' little girl will rise and she arises. And sometimes I think, not just like get rid of the doubters, but I think there's something about surrounding yourself with people who have faith and saying, if God said it, let's move forward. Let's believe God wants to win more people, save more people than even we do. God wants to reach South Florida and the ends of the earth even more than we do. How about we get on board with his work? How about we have faith? That faith that is beyond us, faith that's beyond me. Why don't we start praying for faith? That God, give me faith. There's the gift of faith. All of us exercise faith, but there's even a spiritual gift of faith that like extra, that person goes, where do you get that faith? And you're like, well, I hear God's word. I believe it. And I walk in the extras. I live in it. I remember honestly, not to talk about it like this way, but before we left the church plant, to, before we left all of our comfort and our normal schedule and we're having a family, I remember it's like, I felt like I was about to just do this giant trust fall. I'm like, okay, God, you really have to catch me. Like we're about to jump off a cliff. And like, if you don't catch me, I'm going to die. That's like the feeling, right? And you're like, I'm going to jump. Hopefully you catch me. If not, I'm going to die. And the Lord's like, you have, you just go. Like you, ha there was something where we could not stay. We had to go. If we didn't go, we would have disobeyed. And I really believe been out of the will of God. Here's the thing. If you believe God has spoken to you or speaking to you, remember the Holy Spirit says he's speaking. I would say, take God at his word. Let us be people of faith. They could not enter in because of unbelief. I would love to be surrounded with people who say, we believe that God has more things in store, that God wants to save more people, that God wants to disciple more people, that God wants to get all of the world to know Jesus. Let's elevate and lift up the name of Jesus. Let's not lack faith right now. You know, not to, get, not to go back to this thought or verse, but understand that in the wilderness, God does not tempt them. I want to make this really clear. God tests us. God tests us. He does not tempt us. James 1, 13 uh, says it this way, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Here, here is the idea. They were in the wilderness, which was the testing. The temptation comes to, do we complain? Do we whine? We've been tested, now do we give in to sin? So let's think about this today. God might test us with a financial issue. God's testing us. He does not tempt us. God's testing us with a financial issue. The temptation is, do I turn to alcohol? Do I turn to sex? Do I turn to something away from God? God tests us with, you could say, the financial issue. 
the temptation comes separately. God does not tempt us. Satan tempts us. So again, for us right now, think about this. We're tested right now with this whole COVID-19 thing. There's a test happening to our faith. The temptation is, do I give in to my anxiety? God is not tempting us to be anxious. He's testing us to say, what's, what's inside? What's going to come out? What are you going to show? What are you going to give yourself into? So there's this testing period that God, I believe, is not just revealing what's in us, but trying to develop us. There's also now that opportunity for us to give in to sin, to harden our hearts, to rebel, to not believe, to not have faith. And he's saying, believe, have faith, enter in. Enter into all that God has for us. Um, again, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk not by feelings, but we walk by this confidence in who God is and in his word and that he has spoken and he's speaking. And so church, we want to be a church that enters into all that God has for us because of faith. The book of Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus, how do we look to someone we don't see in faith? We, though we don't see him physically, we see him. And so this is the idea for us. Let us live and walk by faith. Amen? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put up some questions on the screen in just a second. Not yet. There's going to be a few slides. Take pictures of the slides. There's, we're going to leave them for about 20 seconds. So take pictures of the slides. They're going to have some questions. Discuss it with your husband, your wife, your kids. If you're a small group, or, or save it for later for your Zoom group. Um, but take pictures of these slides. We're also going to send this out to leaders who are possibly you know, meeting later in the week. But take pictures of these things. Before we put those up, I want to share again a couple things with you guys. Uh, parents, please access the kids' curriculum. I know that will be a blessing to you. Um, I know they'll help, and I know they'll be just encouragement to their faith. Um, the house-to-house, the digital and in-person gatherings, would you please, please consider joining a Zoom group or leading a Zoom group? There's a form for both, to lead one or to be in one. Uh, but we'd love for everyone to be in a Zoom group, still connecting. Uh, again, I want to make this clear. The podcast thing, if you haven't subscribed yet, we're going to have those Monday, Wednesday, Friday daily encouragements. What's happening? Also, please join us for prayer. We want to surrender this time in prayer and walk by faith and live in faith in prayer. And if you need help for anything, um, there's that COVID-19 on our website where you can, uh, again, try to help someone by filling out that form or you need help or you need prayer. So I'd ask you guys to just consider those things. Lastly, um, this is a privilege for us, you guys, that we get to serve and be a part of this. This is a time where the church can step up. This is a time where the church tries to self-preserve at times. This is a time where individuals can self-preserve. So I just ask, would you consider giving during this time? We can't give in person, but you can give online. Would you pray about what that looks like? Would you pray about not just making giving a one-time thing, but an ongoing thing? This is something that allows us to help meet needs. And just really right now, the church can either be stingy or generous. We can either be generous to our neighbors, generous to our church, or we can be scared and be stingy. And I would say, listen, let's be people of faith and say, God, you've blessed us so we can bless others. And so uh, those are some things we want to share with you guys. Again, here's the questions. We're going to put them up right now. Take pictures. Be aware of them. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you guys. Join a Zoom group. We'll sign up for the podcast, uh, but we'll see you on Wednesday through the prayer time on Facebook Live and Instagram Live. That is it. We love you guys so much. 